Listen, it is really good to see you this morning. I'm glad you are here, and uh, it is always a pleasure to be with you, but I was just noticing this morning in the hustle and bustle and getting kids here and there, just how, how much intentionality it takes to get in the seat where you are, and I want you to know how much I appreciate that. And, uh, and we do come trusting that God is going to speak in some way or another, and sometimes that's really big and kind of bold, and sometimes it's very subtle and yet still, still powerful week in and week out. So offering yourself up to that process today uh, is, a, is, a, is no small thing, and I appreciate it. I'm glad you're here. We are going to uh, have Holy Communion this morning, and that'll be right after the message. Uh, and it will be our way, as it often is, uh, to enter into the story, even in the scripture we heard this morning, and to find ourselves caught up in this thing that is happening and continuing to happen out of those very words. And um, another thing that we'll do, and we did this before the pandemic, was that we are going to offer a time when you come up for communion, if you also want to be anointed with oil, which is a symbol of either sort of setting aside and, and being set aside for a purpose in Scripture or for healing. And sometimes those two things are together, you know, being freed up in some way, uh, healing being a very broad kind of concept, being freed up in some way to be the thing that God is calling you to be. And so uh, I tell you that now, so you just have a little time to think about it uh, during the sermon. Uh, I'm sure you'll be thinking about a lot of things during the sermon, uh, but um, to, to, be, to be ready for that. All right, so let's pray together. God, I uh, offer this time to you uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and for the sake of the church that you have called to be your witnesses in the world, for the sake of Bowling Green, Kentucky, and for our ministry here, and for the sake of your influence through us to the whole world in places like Honduras, but also in places like the Ukraine, how what we do here matters to the whole. We offer that up to you. We offer our very lives, trusting that you are speaking to us in these very moments and that you are calling us each by name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2003, John Foreman uh, of the band Switchfoot wrote a song, and it ended up being their best-known song, their number one hit. But uh, Foreman says that he actually wrote the song, Dare You to Move, for himself. Uh, he said that, in fact, it was me talking to myself in those times where I felt stagnant and stuck. And so the first, uh, the first chorus, you may know the song, I Dare You to Move. I dare you to move. I dare you to lift yourself up off the floor. I dare you to move. I dare you to move like today never happened. Like today never happened before. Today we launch a series about how we do that, how we get ourselves moving, uh, how we find ourselves doing, and doing so with that sort of dare, that, that challenge, that opportunity, that adventure as witnesses of Jesus Christ in the world. And specifically, this series about what we ought to be doing now and our why is, is, is chosen because I'm guessing there are some of us that are trying to figure it out. I mean, this is sort of an ongoing question. What should we be doing? It's one that we're always asking. And, and why should we do it? Why does it even matter? It's, it's always underneath the surface of all of what we do. Uh, the, the sort of big concept uh, term for this is vocation how we hear the voice, you see that in the word vocation, and we hear God's voice and then respond. And that sounds like a very simple thing until we start living our lives and we parent and we, we're married and we go to work day in and day out. And, and we find ourselves at times wondering, 
what, what should I be doing? I'm guessing that question is in you somewhere. And then why does it even matter? And especially after sort of the turmoil of the last few years, that part is maybe especially important. Why does it even matter? Does it even matter what I do? And in the next few weeks, I hope to give some very, like, some very clear guidance on what we ought to be doing, especially now, and why it does matter. And the second verse of that song, Dare You to Move, gets to this. Sort of, it's speaking to what happens when life doesn't go kind of like you thought it was going to. And so the verse of that second verse goes this way, welcome to the fallout. Is that a great word for what we've been through? Welcome to resistance, which maybe is another thing that you have felt. And the tension is here, he repeats twice. And then some of the best lyrics, I think, in any song are what come next. The tension between who you are and who you could be. Between how it is and how it should be. I trust, pretty much guess, that we find ourselves somewhere in that tension today. And it's okay for that to be a tension in our lives because we also gather in hope that there's a way through those tensions that is not dependent on us. And that's what I want to talk not solely dependent on us is what I want to talk about today. Chances are you feel some of that tension between who you are and who you could be, how it is, and how it should be. And so this series is built on those two questions that get at it um, that I mentioned earlier. What should we be doing? And does it even matter? And my hope is at the end of the next month, so if you miss a Sunday, as someone said, you can get the rerun uh, online. You can do that. Uh, because these, these, uh, these sermons build on each other, and there's going to be a very specific action we're going to call you to each week. I'm going to set that up, and then the four weeks following will be some things that we're going to be doing together. We're going to practice what it means to be witnesses of Jesus. So in other words, this is a series about our vocation, about finding what we do and why we do it, living with passion and purpose, and uh, finding what we can do and why it does matter. And for all of us, those personal questions of passion and purpose are set on a backdrop, something that we've all been through together that have maybe made these questions a little more challenging or caused us to ask them. It's set on the backdrop of you know, us trying to find our individual place in this whole global thing, in this global reality that we are just kind of constantly aware of now. You can't go anywhere without kind of understanding where things are in the whole, this great big global world, this great big global challenge that we face, pandemic, the global pandemic, war, and how does that affect the whole, and what's that going to mean for the whole world? It's like all of a sudden we have this awareness that can be crushing, in fact. In fact, we may not know where we fit because the world is so big and we're so small, and we don't know how what, what we do matters to the whole, and we can feel powerless. We're also going to talk about vocation because uh, some of us are struggling to figure out if, they, if we want to go on. What we know is that a lot of people are wrestling vocationally. That, in fact, the year 2021, and even currently, even to this moment, has been called, you know what it's been called? The Great Resignation. Now, there are a lot of terms floating around, and who knows what history will call it, that somebody has called it the Great Shuffling because it may not just be with jobs. It's been in churches. It's been in life, it's been in our profession, but 
In 2021, 48 million people quit their job. It's a record. In fact, the monthly rate is the average in 2021 was 4 million. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand if you quit your job in last year, but some of you probably did. Some of you probably wanted to. Uh, just to bring myself into that, uh, Barna research has shown that 38% of pastors during the pandemic <clears throat> really want to quit. And there are a whole host of reasons for that. Um, but I think it just shows that we're all kind of in this together. The, the uh, record uh, quit rate uh, is what they call it. The quit rate uh, was in November of 2021. The second highest month was in February of 2022, which that means it's still going on. This is still in us. And we ought to just get curious about that. What's going on in us with the, is, is it the stress that we've been through or that sense of powerlessness that I talked about? Is it pandemic? Is this just what happens on the other side of these kinds of disruptions? Uh, do we just feel that unsettled? But we're learning what people are saying about uh, why they quit. You may think it's because they're lazy and they don't wanna work. And that's some people. Uh, mostly people who are retiring. It's not that they're lazy, in fact, they just have done it. And so a lot of people did retire in 2021 and who can blame them, right? And th that's a good and can be a good and holy thing. The truth is actually that over half the people who quit their jobs uh, last year have a new job. And, and the reason they said they quit was because they needed better pay, uh, that they needed better hours to be able to take care of their families and one of the drivers of that, in fact, with the pandemic was that a large number of women, you know, in their role in the sort of what we placed on them in society, that, that became a major factor for women. But a lot of folks said that they quit their job because they needed to have a job with a future. And I think maybe that part of it is in all of us too. We, we're, we feel unsettled because we're trying to find our way to the future. And this series is about that not about going back to the way things were. And the early church really didn't have that option. Jesus had died. He had been resurrected and he had been with them for 40 days. There's no going back. And I wonder if we might just kind of start to place ourselves in that, in that place. A lot of stuff has happened. A lot of stuff has gone down for the disciples and for us. At some point in this mix, we've got to start looking toward the future and, and, to, and to where God is leading us and that impulse to go back might be another thing floating around in us. As we look toward the future, to whatever the sense that we're wrestling with what we ought to be doing and why, we're gonna look at that through the lens of what Jesus said to those first disciples when he, after he had been resurrected, after he had been with them for 40 days, and then what we heard this morning as he is being ascended into heaven which the early church understood as Jesus going to the very right hand of God to reign over heaven and earth. His last words were, were words of purpose, something to do for those disciples that we wanna hear. Our, this series is about finding and gro grounding our lives in the basic Christian vocation of being a witness of Jesus out of these words from Acts 1. You will receive power, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my what? Say it with me, witnesses. Say it again loud, witnesses. To hear that as a call, as a, a vocation, this is my job. So whatever your job, think about your job title. Think about your, uh, what, what, what title is given to you. And if you have a paid job, that might come with a certain title. And it may be, the, the longer it is, the more responsibility you have, maybe. 
Uh, and then maybe you don't have a paid job. Maybe you have uh, a job that is, it should be paid a lot more than it is. Uh, and like mom, and in that case, the shorter the title is, the more responsibility you have. Does that make sense? Uh, what, whatever might be on your desk or your name tag or on your door, to think about placing this job title above that, even of mom or dad, even above husband and wife, even those very basic fundamental human jobs and tasks and roles. The challenge I think here is to see where that falls in within this larger framework, this Christian vocation to be witnesses of Jesus in the world, to go into the place where you are going, to be wherever you are in the week, and to be a, a living reminder of Jesus Christ where you are. I, I read a prayer uh, in the book, Every Moment Holy, that is a prayer for those who are employed. And I love that book because it has lots of different situational uh, prayers and uh, liturgies. And the prayer there um, for uh, those who are employed, a, a very small piece of it is this, may my presence here be a daily reminder of your presence here. That's what we're talking about. Being living reminders of Jesus, being witnesses of Jesus Christ where we are. Now, we're gonna be talking about what that means. There, there are some specific tasks that we'll get to. But the, the thing I wanna to say today is witness, understood in this way, is very broad. And we've sometimes used that word in, in a very narrow sense, and we need to kind of clear that up and set the stage a little bit. The, the word witness is a word that has some baggage. Maybe you have been witnessed to, and that felt like a very forced thing. It felt like almost like a dehumanizing thing, and it was very much a verbal thing, like somebody's gonna tell you something. Maybe you felt like, and then it wasn't maybe intended this way, but it felt like maybe somebody was trying to shove their beliefs down your throat. That's not what we're talking about here. In fact, we're talking about something much broader than, than just what we say. We're talking about how our lives speak and how, how our actions and our words point people to Jesus and how that becomes the very natural outflow of our lives as we live in his presence. In fact, becomes the joyful experience of those of us who are witnesses of Jesus, even when the world is all kinds of messed up. And this is where the early church helps us because we're sort of, I would guess, many of us are looking back at the way things were and there were some things that were really good, but the early church didn't have that. They, and in fact, what they were facing in the future was pretty challenging. They, they, didn't, they had a very uncertain future and they faced persecution and even the loss of their lives. And so their lives became witnesses of Jesus. And the word in Greek for that is where we get the word martyr. You didn't know you were signing up for that, did you? <laughs> the word martyr being a comprehensive word, your whole life joyfully given to Christ, facing the challenges that they faced and to, to do it, not just what they said, but how they lived their lives, being wholehearted and giving their lives away, ultimately giving their lives joyfully away. Uh, the, the church father Tertullian said this famously about those early witnesses or martyrs. He said, the blood of the witnesses, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. What I think that means is that these folks found their passion, they found their purpose, they gave their lives away in such a way that it fueled the greatest social movement in the history of the world, the church. The most dramatically redemptive and, and uh, powerful movement, social movement 
that the world has ever known, that we are still caught up in. How do we find that passion and purpose to give our lives away in this same way so that our daily, our presence here daily reminds others of God's presence here? Henry Nouwen wrote a book, uh, it was the first, one of the first books I read in training for ministry called The Living Reminder. And uh, it, its uh, subtitle is uh, Prayer and Service, Service and Prayer in the Name of Jesus. And so he speaks to how this dynamic of living in God's presence and then serving Christ in the world and then living in God's presence and, and, and it kind of swirls into becoming a living reminder of Jesus. And I'm guessing that many of us didn't get into this thinking that's what we're here to do. I'm, I think that is what we're here to do, to, to be living reminders of Jesus and to do so in a way that isn't paralyzed by the challenges of the world. To give our lives joyfully, knowing that it may not work out the way that we thought it would, giving up on the fact that we're gonna be in charge of the results. And maybe one of the things that the pandemic has given us is that, like we don't know. But we get to be here as living reminders of Jesus anyway. In fact, what the early church did was all those reasons where we sort of get disillusioned and discouraged were the very reasons that they became engaged in the world. The suffering of the world did not trip up the early church, it fueled it. Something for us to think about. And so one of the things we're gonna talk about is how this becomes a a, a life-giving process for those of us who might be a little disillusioned. How we find in the example of the early church the power and the purpose and the passion to be witnesses to Jesus where we are now. And so I began to look for that. One of the things we're gonna do is uh, kind of raise our awareness just to be looking around for that where God is at work. And, um, and so I wanted to practice what I preached, and I began looking on social media. And there was a post on social media this uh, week while I was on vacation that I almost got and, you know, did the thing that you're not supposed to do on social media, which is sort of blast somebody. I, like, I got on and was so aggravated by what somebody said that I, I, and I don't do this, by the way. It's never good for the pastor to blast someone on social media. <laughs> this person wasn't, wasn't a member of the church, by the way, which um, does not help at all. But... Um, <laughs> You know, you probably have had the same experience. But I decided to go, to go and raise my awareness that there were other things being shared as well because it's so easy to fixate on those things that drive us nuts. Part of what we're gonna do in this series is fixate on where we see God at work. And so I began to look and it was there. This week I noticed several examples from among Broadway's people on social media, one of, of being witnesses of Jesus. One uh, member posted about the family she had been working with, with as a court-appointed special advocate, had been working with them for three years, and she was in the courtroom with them. The picture was the, of them when they were being adopted, having spent that time and walked alongside that family. Another posted about the Teddy Bear Run to benefit the Barren River Child Advocacy Center, and I thought about those who were involved in that work and how important that is, and how the suffering of the world, some of the worst thing we can think of, child sexual abuse, becomes the thing that spurs us into the world rather than causes us to step back from it. And I'm so grateful for those of you who are doing that. Then I saw a post from Chelsea Kickert, uh, who is a member and goes to our Greenwood campus, and she had a picture of their foster child who was sleeping in their home, and it was uh, the picture of him sleeping on his last night with them after he had been with them for six months. And, um, 
I talked to Chelsea yesterday, and she actually shared at our Greenwood, Greenwood campus last week about this and the, their journey. They have two boys that were born biologically, then the third, third son is adopted, and then they, they, they had a foster kiddo, and they feel called to this. The first part of her post was written to him, to that little boy. And it said this, after six months in our home, it's time to let you go to a forever home with your extended family. We hope we have meant as much to you as you have to us. You've shown us over and over what love can do. We are excited to see God's big plan for your life and humbled to be a small part. We will love you forever. The second part of her post was to us, to those who are reading, and she says this. You might be thinking, I couldn't do that, and that's exactly that's exactly what, what I thought. In fact, this is an emotional topic for me. My brother had a foster son that lived uh, with our family for three years and then went back to his extended family. And it is a source of, of, of pain for all of us and, um, and uh, something that, uh, you know, it's just, I'm not sure he could do again, we could do again. He may feel that way. And not everybody's called to this, but she says, you might be thinking, I couldn't do that. But it's not really a could, it's more of a would. It's not really a could, it's more of a would. Would you open your heart and home to the vulnerable? That is a dare to move, isn't it? To let all of the distraction and the disillusion fall away, in fact, become the fuel to be a witness of Jesus Christ on the very cutting edge of the world's suffering to not be tripped up by the problem of evil, but be propelled by it, because that's what we do. We become living reminders of Jesus, middle of the mess. This is the way I thought of it. Uh, in the past two years, and maybe you've done this too, you can almost, almost make a list of all the things that are wrong with the world. And it's like almost emotionally gratifying to do that. Like, yep, that's wrong. Yeah, and then you talk to somebody else, and like, I hadn't thought about how wrong, yep, you got that. And you just sort of, you know, right? Like, we enjoy that, right? Like, it takes kind of some of the emotional kind of <clears throat> angst out of life. And we make that list and then we, pre like we present it to God. Not that we do, but it, like we present it to God or to the world and like, all right, see, this is the reason why I'm, I'm out. The great resignation. But it seems like the early church would have done the same thing. They would have made the same list. Yeah, that's wrong. Yeah, that's wrong. And then they made the list and presented it to God and did the exact opposite. They said, this is why you've called us, and they leaned in. And I think that's what it means to be a witness of Jesus Christ now, to find our passion and our purpose in being living reminders of Jesus in some of the best and some of the worst, and to find that as our calling above everything else, above every other, even success in life, every other title, every other purpose. So um, before we come to communion, I'm gonna tell one last story. And we don't have a clock in here yet, by the way, which is a very dangerous thing. So um, let, me, let me wrap up with this. Uh, this is uh, Madeline Manning Mims. She is uh, an Olympian, she's still alive. She's actually working on her Masters of Divinity uh, degree. Currently, she's 74, and she is uh, a chaplain for one of the WNBA teams. 
She is also the 800, was at one time the 800 meter world record holder and was the gold medalist in the 1968 Olympics in that event. She says that she found her purpose through running. This is something that we relate to in our household. We, we want our kids to be good athletes. We want the, the athletics to be a part of making them a better person. And we're working on that, all working on that, I think. But she said she found a purpose through running and became a nine-time chaplain to the Olympics out of that sense of purpose and out of this story. She realized her purpose through running uh, in 1968. In the 1968 Olympics, when she was the gold medalist, she raced against a woman from Yugoslavia. Her name was Vera Nikolic. And the two had a rivalry. In fact, the year before, they had been in a race. They were one and two. And as Vera came to pass Madeline, she, Vera elbowed her in the side and tried to knock her off the track. And Madeline got back on, passed her, and won, which only made it worse. Vera uh, was upset. And then um, Manning, uh, Madeline Manning was announced as the, the female athlete of the meet and Vera Nikolic threw off her medal and stomped off. So fast forward a year later, 1968, Mexico City, the um, 300 meter race. And um, it turns out that Nikolic was under a lot of pressure from Yugoslavia. That that pressure, in fact, was to get a gold medal or don't come home. And that incredible pressure uh, became too much. And so in that race, to everyone's shock, she left the track and tried to commit suicide. So two days later, on the way to the 800-meter race, where Madeline Manning would go ahead uh, and go to and win, she saw Vera Nikolic outside of her dorm room, looking almost comatose. And so she stopped from going to the Olympic final and went to this competitor. And she tried to make eye contact. She tried to get through to her. And finally, she said, I don't know if you can understand me or not, but God created you as one of the greatest athletes in the world, and that gift belongs to him. So go home, get some rest, and start over again. She dared her to move. And tears finally started to roll from her face, and then Madeline Manning Mims went off to win the gold medal in the Olympics. And a year later, so now forward another year, a man came up to Miss Manning and said, I am Vera Nikolic's coach. And she asked how she was doing, and he started weeping. And he said, when we left Mexico City, she went into an institution. And I've been going to her every day, trying to get her to talk, and she wouldn't say a word until a month ago. And I was talking to her a month ago, and it was like she woke up. And the first thing she said was, did you know that Madeline Manning came and spoke to me before she went to, to win the gold medal in the Olympics? It was that realization that clicked with her. And as about at the time the coach was telling that story, Vera Nikolic came up and ran up and hugged her and kissed her and said, I found God. And Madeline says, you could see the life in her eyes. And this is what Madeline Manning Mims says about that experience. From that moment on, it hit me. This is not about the Olympic Games, which is a big thing to say, isn't it? That's the icing on the cake. This is not about me winning or my times or fame or the medal. This is about me being in the right place at the right time 
to speak words of life for someone who is dying. We would say to be a witness of Jesus Christ. And the reality of my purpose came into full perspective in that moment. Even while you're doing what you're doing, there is a higher purpose. There's so much more about who you are and what you're doing and why God has you there. And that is what we are here to find. This is what we hear Christ daring us to discover and to figure out why and to do as witnesses in the world. And so I invite you to offer yourself to that as we come into the story of Jesus through communion this morning, as maybe you come to anointing and say, yes, that's, I want to be a witness of Jesus Christ in the world.